CrossPolitik begins in three, two, one. Stop a heart that breaks for a dying city. Stop cursing your future. <laughs> Is not true. For all intents and purposes, I am a woman. No government, no political system has ultimate supremacy. Jesus is king of kings, and it's about time our nation returned in humble submission to his lordship. You are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. I didn't start it. But sir, sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. I didn't start it. Right, when the spirit comes upon people, they go to war, they go to battle, and the enemies of God are driven back and they're slaughtered. You are listening to Cross Politic with Gabe Wrench, the Water Boy, Pastor Toby Sumter, and the Chocolate Knox. Well, hey y'all, good to be here with you guys. Welcome to the Christchurch Post College Life Conference. Get a round of a hand. Let's go. Yes. Round of a hand. Bring Give a round in. of a hand. You like that? A round of a hand. Oh. Round of a hand. Hey. So we got Pastor Toby Sumter here, David Channon, a.k.a. Chocolate Knox. You got to give him the black church or he dies. Amen. Probably, probably going to die, man. And then we got... <laughs> what kind of post-millennialism are you committed to? <laughs> and then we got our brother from the East Coast, Timothy Brindle. Hey. That's correct. Welcome, Timothy. Good to be here, Welcome, guys. Timothy. Yeah. Grace and peace. Thanks for having me. If, if you guys don't know Timothy... Which you will after What's the show. What's wrong with you people? What is, what is wrong with you? That was R.C. Sproul, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> he recently wrote a, actually he did a hip-hop album first called The Unfolding and then followed it up with a 800-page discourse on how. 400. 400 pages. <laughs> Math was never my strong suit. On, on how Christ is throughout the Old Testament. It's actually a really good book. And the album, um, it doesn't just complement it. The album is actually first in, in line, and then the book was a result of the album. And so I've actually been reading the book and then listening to the album, and it, it, really, it really works. It's really good. So uh, you guys actually can find, he brought a couple copies that he'll be able to, um, that you can buy after, after the show tonight. And um, uh, so, you know, make sure you guys walk your way up if you want, want one of the copies and everything live here, or you can order them later on the, on the website. So uh, tonight's show, tonight's topic is Cannonball Christianity and Life in the Covenant. You guys have been participating in college life, post-college life conference. You guys had a lot of practical conversations. Uh, Toby, you actually let off uh, Friday night, didn't you? Last night. So you guys have already met Toby. It's like the Daniel Diet, is that what was on? What the was Daniel it? Diet? The Daniel Diet. It's okay. the solution to all your problems. <laughs> the, Rick Warren's going to sue you. The Rick, <laughs> he, he, tra- he trademarked that. Yeah. So we got. So the topic is cannibal Christianity and post uh, and life in the covenant. And so, so what we want to do is we um, Tim's book and album is on um, on covenant theology really, and we want to break that down a little bit for you. And then we really do want to get very practical in terms of asking, okay, so what um, if this is really how we're supposed to read the Bible and think about our life in Christ? Um, how does this touch down in um, family endeavors? How does this touch down in economics? How does this touch down in business and politics, sexuality, uh, racial relations, all of these things? So that's where we want to go in this next hour. So as we begin, though, Tim, if you could just give us a little bit of a, a, a big picture, what, um, you know, um, what, what's driving this particular part of your project? I mean, I thought of um, Ed Clowney's, I'm a theology guy, a pastor guy, you know, so I think, I think Ed Clowney's got this uh, classic work, The Unfolding Mystery, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. I thought, oh, I, I got you. I know, I know what you're doing. 
Um, can, but can you talk a little bit about how you, the book came to be and what you hope to give your readers through? And also, how does sort of hip-hop um, angle on this, um, how does that fit with those goals? Absolutely. So some of you guys might be familiar with Luke chapter 24, when Jesus, after being risen from the dead, uh, is speaking to his disciples who had been uh, quite doubtful and in despair over Christ's resurrection. And when Jesus rebukes them for not believing in the resurrection, he doesn't do so upon the grounds of them not believing the eyewitnesses who saw him risen from the dead, but rather that they did not believe the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which are the three main sections of the Old Testament. Uh, And then Jesus opened their eyes to understand the scriptures, and as a result, their hearts burned within them. Um, So I had my own uh, road to Emmaus experience, uh, the glory of Christ, uh, continually being open to me in the, eye, my, the eyes of my heart, um, uh, seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And this particularly happened in the Master of Divinity program at Westminster Theological Seminary, uh, where I, I, I did the MDiv from 2011 to, to 2016. And as I was studying God's Word and preaching His Word and applying His Word, I realized, wow, when it comes to how the Old Testament's about Christ and how these themes are passing through all of the different sections of the Old Testament and come to fruition in Christ and his salvation, I really long to see God's people also make those connections so that instead of just seeing the Old Testament as God's plan A that didn't work so well and therefore the church is his plan B, that's a more dispensational, I think, unhelpful hermeneutic, or instead of just seeing the Old Testament as examples for us, and we really love to, to tell them to our kids, uh, Noah's Ark, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. Rather that these narratives, these themes, these peoples, these persons, uh, these promises all uh, connect to the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation. And therefore that unfolding uh, is really drawing on uh, and understanding that when the Lord first uh, revealed uh, his plan of salvation, in particular in Genesis 3.15, He promised that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But that offspring promise unfolds and develops through redemptive history and special revelation. In particular, in Genesis 12, we learn that that offspring will be the offspring of Abraham, who will bless all the nations. We learn later that that offspring will be the offspring of David, who will sit on David's throne and build his temple uh, and usher in the kingdom of God. And that's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we are called offspring of God. Uh, We are offspring of Abraham, even as Gentiles. How does that fit together? And so this unfolding story of God's uh, covenant plan of salvation, just longing for God's people to also have the eyes of their hearts open and their hearts to burn within them so that they can uh, see the gospel in the Old Testament and be applying it in ministry. I'm always reminded of that story, another story in Luke about Lazarus and the, and the rich man and the rich, you know, they die and they go um, to Hades and there's this, you know, chasm and, and the rich man is full of remorse and says, you know, please, please, you know, uh, let me go back or send someone back to warn my family <laughs> right. so that they will know. And, and Abraham um, says, no, you can't go back. There's this chasm. No. And, you, and, and, and he says, and if, and, and if um, they have Moses and the prophets, and he says, but if, if somebody rose from the dead, then they would listen. He says, no, no, no. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, mm. they won't even believe right. if someone rises from the dead. Amen. Right. So, so the the ability to see the gospel, to see Jesus 
in the Old Testament is actually necessary to actually know Jesus Amen. rightly. That's correct. And most of our Bible is the Old Testament. Uh, and the Old Testament scriptures are the scriptures which the apostles and disciples proclaimed Christ from. And you see that in the book of Acts, also written by Luke, yeah. making arguments for Jesus as Messiah using the Old Testament scriptures for Jews and Gentiles. So, talk, point. so, so fit hip hop into this now. Yeah. So, so far, everybody, you know, like we're mostly all white and, you know, very I noticed. Not, not very. He said most. <laughs> um, so, you know, everybody's like, so far, we're like, okay, that sounds great. You know, um, hip hop? Yeah. What, hip hop? So God in his providence allowed me to grow up in inner city Pittsburgh and uh, be immersed into hip hop culture from an early age and uh, by high school age begin doing hip hop. But this was all as an unbeliever, um, as a non-Christian, uh, and really using hip hop as a vehicle for my own glory. Uh, I was a what's called a battle rapper. Some of you guys might be familiar with underground hip hop and battle rap. Well, basically, the whole purpose of battle rap is, uh, let's say, uh, Toby and I were battling. He would have a turn to rhyme uh, a, a rap first, and through improvisational rhyme schemes and punchlines, uh, and spilling coffee, uh, he would attempt to uh, exalt himself over me, put me to shame, and give you guys as much pleasure in the process, where you give him props, he wins the battle, um, you know. Sort if, of verbal boxing. Exactly. Great, yeah. great point. Well, basically, when the Lord saved me a week before 9-11, after bringing, allowing me to get very low in my sin in the city of Philadelphia, uh, I thought that I had to, be, I had to stop hip-hop. For a couple reasons. One, I thought that all, since all Christian rap that I had heard was whack, uh, I presupposed that, <laughs> that rap, when done as a Christian, had to be whack. And then secondly, um, uh, I didn't think it could be done in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. Um, I assumed that hip-hop had to only be evil, that there's a sense in which the genre was intrinsically evil. God in his providence allowed me to meet a brother named Shy Lin, who was already doing hip-hop for the Lord and doing it in an excellent way uh, and in doing it with, uh, a, in a genre and style of, of beats in a way that was very similar to mine. And he was a reformed Christian and began discipling me. And I began to be convinced, wow, hip-hop can actually be a very useful vehicle for proclaiming the gospel and for teaching reformed theology and, and that's the case for a number of ways. Hip-hop is an ideal genre because you can pack so much word content into it, can't you? Yeah. If you think about some of our, our worship songs that we sing at church, whether it's a traditional hymn uh, or more of a modern hymn, usually there's maybe four lines per verse. And maybe there's two or three verses per song. So at most, you can fit maybe a hundred words in the song. Well, when it comes to a, a, a hip-hop song, even a, a four-minute song, um, if you have three verses, you could pack in quite a bit of content. And it can almost be like three sermon points huh. where your chorus is the main point of the sermon. Um, and so hip-hop is a very ideal uh, genre because of the word-based element. Uh, Moreover, hip-hop has various tones of aggression and emotion 
And so we were joking around. Uh, I, I love some uh, psalm, some um, psalms singing CDs that my family and I listen to. Uh, one in particular is a father and a daughter. They're singing the psalms. Um, there's no music, and they're just you know singing the songs in a melodic way. And as they're singing the psalms, and he shall smite their teeth. You're like, <laughs> yeah, that works, but he shall smite their teeth. Yeah. You know, I think if the prophet said it, he probably uh, would have said it with a little more aggression than that. And so uh, as image bearers made in the image of God, hip hoppers uh, in, in doing hip hop in various forms of emotion, sometimes in an emotional, sad way, sometimes in an aggressive way, that is, that is, that is used by the Lord to convey the truth of his word. Uh, so those are a few things that come to mind. Also, so, to yeah. add to that with hip-hop, I think that hip-hop is one of the genres that actually samples everybody else's genre. So hip-hop can do rock. Hip-hop can do orchestral music. Hip-hop can do jazz. Hip-hop samples every form uh, huh. and genre of music. It sounds so, like you're describing Taylor Smith Swift a little bit. No, you know, she's she a thief. Cultural appropriation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm mean, saying like hip-hop does that because hip-hop didn't start itself from piano playing. It, didn't, it started from, you know... And I needed something to go over the top of that. Well, let's get some orchestral music that matches that beat and let's put it together. Good point. And so, and not just that, but when hip hop started, it required a form of intelligence to be able to give off this huge idea in three words or, you know, a short piece. And that, so now all of a sudden as a minister, as somebody who can preach, if you can do that, it was looked at as like, he's a thoughtful man. You know, and now you can't tell that from hip-hop necessarily. It's just, yeah, yeah, or it's mumble rap. But originally, yeah, right. it, it took a sort of form of intelligence to be able to communicate in that way. So its rhetoric was real strong. All right, so I want to put you on a spot. That's a great oh. I want to put you on a spot. Lay it down. Give us, give us something. Give us something. Show, show us who we're give talking us, about. Give us a little head crusher. Excellent. David and Goliath, a familiar Bible story. But most Sunday school lessons still apply it poorly. What's the way that most preachers and teachers apply this? David's our example when he defeated Goliath. And by faith in God, we can beat all our giants, like our fears or anxieties that's inside us. Well, that would be a mend in a synagogue. So in the song, I'm going to show you it's about the Son of God. It's better than a moralistic application. Turn to 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter's blatant. Mashak, the Hebrew verb anoints attached to David. Because he's the shepherd king fighting on behalf of his nation. So where can you and I find ourselves in the story? Surely we're the fearful Israelites on the sidelines. Who by Goliath will be stomped to the dust. Though in God we have trust, send death and Satan stronger than us. So Yahweh's chosen one from the town of Bethlehem. The spirit rests on him. He's empowered now to represent. The shepherd of the sheep represents his peeps. So his victory is their victory if by death he does defeat. See, David's whole life's a pattern and a pedigree. For his greater son, the last Adam, his descended thee. Holy Spirit came upon him after he descended. He departed to the wilderness to battle with the enemy. Mm. So is David and Goliath about facing your giants? Nope, it's about the son of David who was slaying the tyrant. Over Satan, he triumphed when he suffered and bled. The main point of the story, he was crushing his head. So now let's put our eyes on Goliath, whom 1 Samuel 17, 5 is describing. 
Hey, yo, this giant's worse than a cannibal because Goliath is described as a serpent and an animal. In the Hebrew text, let us note to tell because though they're great, here our English Bibles only fail by translating Goliath's armor as a coat of mail. But the Hebrew clearly says that he's clothed in scales. You'll appreciate this. That, that word for scales, kaskasim, is only used a few other places. It's used to describe reptiles. This should stretch your mind. It's used of Pharaoh, the dragon, Ezekiel 29. And dragons found 13 times in Revelation in the text for Satan. Now listen to the rest of David. Verse 36, he's comparing this giant. You'll be just as a struck down bear or a lion. So is this bizarre? Goliath asks, Am I a dog? Well, the answer is yes, you are. Because the Gentiles are so sinfully flawed, they more resemble a dog than the image of God. But for the Adam king in the image of Jehovah, the beasts are those he's given to have dominion over. Yet Goliath takes after his fake God because he's about to be beheaded like the statue of Dagon. So is David and Goliath about facing your giants? Nope, it's about the son of David who was slaying the tyrant. Over Satan he triumphed, he got up from the dead. The main point of the story, he was crushing his head. The uncircumcised snake and villains, one of Satan's children. Verse 49, let's focus on the way that David killed him. By the shepherd's slingshot, the stone's crushing his head. On behalf of Israel, David won in their stead. Wait, let me come in. What's with all this head crushing? Um, the crushing of the serpent should already said something. Genesis 3.15, this verse is read. The offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Though the gospel was foretold then, behold in David and Goliath, this promise is unfolding. A vivid illustration of how Jesus began to kill this filthy Satan in the wilderness temptation. If with my words you wrestle, this verse will settle. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Like sin's enslavement and attacks of accusation and power over death, these are the acts of Satan. So on our behalf, Christ took the wrath to save men. That crushed his head is coming back as the decapitation. From the dead he rose for the sheep. Because he's the soul mate, Daniel 7, son of man, rolling over the beasts. A lethal dent puncture, the head crusher goes for the giant's weapon to behead him with his own sword. Like how the cross was Satan's trick. But his own deeds literally came back on his head just like Haman's did. See, we were trapped ourselves, but the giant crashed and fell. Christ alludes to the story in Matthew chapter 12. Since the strong man's bound, Christ already conquered him. Now in kingdom missions, us Christians can be confident. Because when David disarmed him and he killed him, he was followed by the rest of the army of the kingdom. Romans 16's wonderfully deep. Christians, the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. So is <laughs> David and Goliath about facing your giants? No, it's about the son of David who was slaying the tyrant. Over Satan he triumphed. He got up from the dead. The main point of the story, he was crushing his head. Amen. Man. We're going to have some church up in this joint. Man. That was, that was a three-minute sermon right there. <laughs> you know, That's a sermon. Yeah, yeah it really is. That's a is. sermon. Three-minute sermon packed, too. That's a sermon. I want to go back to something you said earlier when you were talking about dispensational theology and covenant theology actually being um, – you said dispensational theology kind of is, is dangerous. 
helpful, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, but what kind of, so one thing that's really been striking me in the last four years is education matters because it creates a certain type of person, right? So when theology, when you're learning about theology, a certain type of theology creates a certain type of person. So when you have the Old Testament and New Testament separated like this, what kind of person are, have you become in, in this type of world, dispensational world? Like, what, what is it, what are you missing, that, you're, that you aim to fix in this book. If you don't see all that. Yeah, if, if you, you don't, don't see all you don't that. see those connections. I would say the first thing that you're missing is who God is as a faithful, covenant-keeping God. Mm. There is a lot of attributes of God that he has revealed about himself in the scriptures, but perhaps the one that he most centrally uh, continues to highlight, which, in fact, his name, Yahweh, from the Old Testament, is pointing to that he is the God who is with his people, if you look at the Hebrew for Yahweh, it's uh, the third masculine sing singular, he will be. And it's in context that when the Lord reveals his name Yahweh to Moses, uh, he will be, which the first, at first the Lord says, I will be, I will be who I, whom I will be. Uh, and in the next breath, he says, I will be with you. And so I will be is alluding to his promise to be with his people. And this is his covenant name. He will be with us as the covenant God. And he says, this is his name that's to be remembered to all generations. And we know that Jesus Christ is the with us God, the God with us. He is the one who has come to fully reveal Yahweh's name and to be the presence of God among us and, and now by his spirit. So you're missing the faith, the covenant faithfulness of God. You're missing the fact that even as a Gentile, you're brought into a family. You're brought into a kingdom. You're brought into a covenant community of the people of God that isn't a brand new thing that's been going on for thousands of years and that's your identity before I'm a Amen. white person before my wife uh, my, uh, my African wife is an African woman we are sons and daughters of God in Christ who are children of the covenant Yahweh is our father the triune God is our God and then that affects the way second reason second way this is so crucial that affects the way we parent our children mm. because how does God think about our children my wife's expecting our eighth child. It wasn't until we were, had our fourth child that uh, my wife and I, who had been Baptists or Reformed Baptists, became convinced of a Presbyterian or a covenantal view of children. But the question was, once we had our fourth child, people stopped congratulating us. Like, well, <laughs> we know a little something about okay, that. <laughs> if, if there's Christians who are saying that children are not a blessing. Now you're just bad way, for the environment. You're, yeah. <laughs> and I know the enemy despises children. The world despises children. I mean, yeah. look, at, look at abortion. Lord, what do you think about children? And as we looked in his word, all we could find is that he is our God and he is their God. That children are literally in the Hebrew an inheritance from Yahweh mm. in, in the Psalm 127, yeah. 128. Yeah. And so it affects the way that we teach our children, which means when I'm teaching David and Goliath to my kids, it's not uh, uh, Asaph. You got to be, you really got to try to be hard, try harder to be like David and, and beat selfishness. You keep being selfish with your brother. Try harder to be like David and God will help you. Well, Daddy, that's kind of why I'm still in this place because uh, I'm really I'm, I'm really struggling and and and, I, and I'm, I'm very simple. But Asaph, do you see how the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled what David and Goliath is talking about? He's crushed the head of the serpent. He's broken the power of sin. He's taken accusation on himself to right. forgive you, son. And Amen. he's broken the enslaving, reigning power of sin over you, so that you no longer have to be deceived by sin. And he will help you and change you. 
now there's hope for little Asaph. Right, right. Uh, right. And so it affects the way that we teach the word to our children. So those so, are just the first few few things. So listening to your album, I'm going along and, you know, I'm Presbyterian. I don't know if you know that. All my kids baptized. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Praise the Lord. as I'm listening to your album, I'm like, yo, everybody is going to love this joint, you know. And I'm listening to it. I'm going along. All of a sudden I hear this. Go baptize your kids if you have children. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> ooh, he in trouble. <laughs> Go baptize your kids if you Doesn't have children. Doesn't that feel good? <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. True story. Chuck's been playing this for months yeah. on our show. Since your album like came out. Months, and I didn't months, know yeah. until like a week ago that this was Timothy Brendel. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's here. That's he's right. like, that guy, he's here. So, that, so that's a line from a song on, how, on circumcision and then connecting it to the waters of judgment and baptism. Yeah, and so. and so I know my Baptist brothers. Right now, Christian hip-hop is really saturated with my Reformed Baptist brothers who were like banging this, like, ooh, it came out, it came out. I'm like, they ain't made it to this track yet. So <laughs> <laughs> they but, skipped that joint. But what were you thinking? Like, like, you yeah. know what, like, really? Out of nowhere, yeah. you decided, like, go? Go baptize your kids if you have children. Bruh! Yeah. You'll get ostracized. Well, for the glory of God. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, out of nowhere, you dropped that. For what purpose? Well, really, the, the song that that's on, Death and Resurrection Part 2, Circumcision, is to show that death, uh, the death and resurrection motif in the Bible which runs through the Old Testament, is bound up in circumcision. And that's because when God told Abraham to, to circumcise his sons, it was a sign of blessing and curse, a sign of salvation and judgment. The blessing of, of circumcision it was pointing toward God's faithful promise to circumcise the heart, to cleanse the heart, to cut off the old Adam slave to sin self. But the curse that was embedded in circumcision was that if your son, if, you, if they're not circumcised or if they're not circumcised in heart, they will be cut off just like the sign is pointing to. Uh, the, the way that, that Paul interprets that in Colossians 2 is that the curse of circumcision is fulfilled in Christ. Paul calls the cross the circumcision of Christ in Colossians 2, 11. And he, he ties that with being buried together with Christ. So for Paul, Christ takes the curse of circumcision. He's cut off from the land of the living, Isaiah 53, in our place, so that we might get the blessing of circumcision, the Spirit circumcising our hearts, giving us new hearts in writing his word upon us. Well, the same thing is true for baptism. Uh, we believe that in the new covenant, the uh, covenant sign of circumcision was replaced with baptism, but in the same way, it has a, a blessing and curse motif, salvation and judgment. Just as uh, circumcision pointed to the cleansing of the heart, so baptism, the washing and the cleansing of the heart by the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God. But baptism is not a New Testament concept. Peter calls Noah passing through the waters of death a baptism because right. the wicked were thrown into the depths, into the tahom in the Hebrew, and they were judged by God through the waters of death. But Noah and his family, by the way, that's the first household baptism, by the way. Hey. All right. Uh, Noah and his family passing through the waters of judgment. Uh, Peter says that's a baptism corresponding to our baptism in the resurrection of Christ, passing through death unto life. Paul calls the Exodus a baptism. 
the children, the sons of Israel were baptized into Moses, their, their head, the their corporate leader, the in the cloud, in the sea. So they're baptized through the depths, through the Tahom. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the wicked, are destroyed by the waters of judgment, which God's people pass through. It's a, it's a, it's a, a new uh, flood, uh, salvation through water. And specifically, right. Pharaoh gave them the chance of just the men going. Interesting. And they said, no, we, we must take our, our wives and our children with nice. us. We good all stuff. have to go and worship God at the mountain. Amen. Very, very good point, brother. Right. And so that's why Jesus Christ in Mark ten thirty eight, he calls his death a baptism. James, John, you want to sit at my right hand and my left in the kingdom? Well, here's the qualifications. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? In the baptism that he's going to be baptized with, in the Greek, it's the future. So he's not talking about John the Baptist baptism. He's talking about being baptized through the wrath of God on our behalf. So for, for that reason, when, I, when the covenant sign is put on my child, when Timmy Brindle, there's, there's Timmy Brindle, he's one and a half years old. When Timmy was baptized last year, the, wa- the water being sprinkled upon him, it was symbolic of God sprinkling, cleansing waters, which we're trusting God to do in time by the Spirit as we teach him the Word. But if Timmy grows up and turns away from the Lord, it's not a picture of Christ being baptized by wrath on his behalf, or it's not a picture of uh, Christ cleansing him by water. It's a picture of him being baptized in the lake of fire. And so in the same way that circumcision was a covenant sign with blessing and curse, so is baptism. And so we can be reminding our children uh, Timmy, you have been baptized in the Westminster Confession of Faith. talks about improving upon your baptism. Right, right. Uh, essentially, uh, living out the Christian life, continuing to, to repent and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that baptism points to the salvation that God promises. But at the end of the day, it points to God's faithfulness to circumcise our children's hearts. And isn't it interesting, last thing, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 The Lord promises to circumcise the hearts of his people and the hearts of his offspring, which is a new covenant promise. The offspring promise for God to circumcise the hearts of his people and the hearts of their offspring is the foundation for the Jeremiah 32 and 33 and Ezekiel 36 and 37 and so on. Isaiah 59, putting his spirit and his word in your hearts and in the the mouths of your offspring. I I always say that in Acts 2 when... When Peter is preaching that great Pentecost sermon and in the spirits fallen and the people are cut to the heart and they say, what shall we do? When Peter says, repent and believe, be baptized for the promises for you and for your children and for as many as the Lord our God will call. That was the moment where he needed to make it clear that he didn't mean for our children to receive the sign of baptism. Because you got all these Jews gathered from all over the nations who understand how God works and the promise is for us and for our children, and the sign is for us and for our children. And if it was going to be changed, that was the moment when Peter said, except, wait, 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 when I say baptize, I just, you know, wait for your kids to be able to, per- no. And you then a bunch of that. household baptisms began yeah. happening. Yeah, exactly. Which is very Now, I want to turn the corner here. Yeah. So this is what we call covenant theology. Okay, you just, you just got, you just got. Saturated the, you got baptized. The, the, you got baptized. <laughs> you got baptized in covenant theology. Now, the thing that I want to push now is, okay, there's a post-college life conference we got a bunch of people that are launching into the world, new businesses, new careers, new families, and so on. What difference does covenant theology make 
in, the, in our lives. When we're going to work, when we're starting businesses, when we're starting families, so what? Does it matter? Now rap it. <laughs> Come on, rap battle, rap battle. Double right CD, now. right here. <laughs> I would say uh, one of the things that Gabriel, um, in some of our earlier conversations, you observe that the chapters of uh, the book, um, which also are the song titles, uh, fall under the, the, the titles of prophet, priest, and king, or uh, king, prophet, and priest in that order in particular. Understanding the, king, the kingship or the kingdom of God is not just a New Testament thing. Understanding that from the beginning, God the king had his vice king, his vice regent Adam, and he gave him dominion. He gave him dominion over the beasts, pointing toward Adam's dominion over the serpent, which he failed to exercise, which then Christ rescues humanity and rescues his people from the dominion of sin, death, and Satan that was there from the fall. As Paul, Paul said, death reigned from Adam to Moses and then, and then continually on there. When the, king, the kingdom of God comes with the first coming of Christ, now we no longer are slaves to sin. So for your own personal sanctification, it's crucial. And for the fact that I'm a part of a, a kingdom of priests. It's a corporate kingship. And I'm commissioned now to go to the nations with the gospel to be faithful, to exercise the dominion that Christ has given me on the job, through my family, and so on, through my church. And so it's, 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 it, it encapsulates your entire life. So the aspect of kingship is there. And any thoughts on that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, as part of this, because God created the world and because we're all in covenant with God, our, we aren't a bunch of random bumper cars that just kind of bump into each other occasionally throughout the world. And this particularly matters in the post-college life context where you guys might feel a little disconnected from church. You know, maybe some of you guys are married, some of you guys aren't. And so you feel like, okay, what am I, what am I doing now? I finished college. I'm, I'm pursuing the American dream or I'm, I'm accomplishing. Hopefully what, not. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Can I finish my analogy? No. No. <laughs> Where you're doing what you think you're told to do, and then you graduate college, and then you're like, now what? Well, the reason why covenant matters is because God placed you in this world, and everything you do is connected to the body of Christ. So what you guys are doing right now in the workforce, what you guys are doing in your church, what you guys are doing in your families, it all matters um, uh, in a covenant context, and it has an impact on the whole body of Christ, not just what you do when you go to Starbucks, when you go to work, when you go home, when you go to bed. Right. All, so I, it's the whole super body, practical. Right, the know? whole body of Christ. I mean, Paul just particularly emphasizes this. So being part of the body of Christ is being part of the covenant people of God. And there is no part. There's no one we say we don't need you. Um, there, there's, there's not a place where you, and, and so we were talking about children a minute ago. I mean, I mean, one thing, I mean, sometimes we, we effectively say when you grow up, then you'll be useful to the kingdom, right. but this is foreign to the way that God thinks it's God true. says that they're arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Right. right? And, and so there, and Jesus says, of such are the kingdom of God. Not, That's you know, right. hey, you know, you're cute and all, and we'll take pictures of you and put you on Facebook, but, right. you know, come back to me when you're Good 16. Point. But the same thing that applies to, you know, college students, graduates, uh, gra you know, getting working on your second degree, starting your first job. You say, yeah. you know, I'm not really sure I'm doing something. No, if God can use crying infants... Come on now. Amen. Hey, Amen. Preach, preach then then he can use anyone. Amen. Yeah. Right? In, in the, the post-college career age, uh, brothers and sisters, 
you're being told the lie from America that in order to be effective in life, in order to be successful, either stay single as long as possible, or if you're married, hold off on having children as, on, as possible because they're inconvenient, yeah. when actually these are the, one of the main means of God spreading his temple kingdom of worshipers yeah. is, is, is through family. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying all of us here will have a family, and, and, and for various reasons, some maybe have the gift of singleness, although my pastor used to tell uh, some of the young brothers and I in, in his small group, trust me, brother, you do not have the gift of singleness. <laughs> but some of you might have the gift of singleness. Or perhaps some of you uh, wonderful marriages here won't be able to have children of your own. Right. But the way that you view your neighbor's children or the way that you view uh, other families in the church's children is crucial. The way that you view family for some reason, God has been pleased, even from the beginning, before the fall, the way that God commissioned Adam and Eve to spread his kingdom of worship was by being fruitful and multiplying and subduing yeah. the earth. So think about this also, push this out further. So that means thinking covenantally means thinking generationally. Absolutely. Which, which, Absolutely. May, which, which, which often includes, ordinarily includes, our own biological families. But covenantal thinking teaches us to think generationally as the body of Christ. That's dope. Right? Because when it comes to, be, to cannonball Christianity, dope. yeah, that was dope. dope. I want to make as large a splash as possible. But yeah. guess what? The Lord doesn't just want me to make a splash. He wants my eight soon to be eight, children to make a splash. And so that means sometimes dying to self so that my personal cannonball doesn't have as big of a splash so that Micaiah, Natalia, Madalena, Evangeline, Justice, and Asaph and Timmy Jr.'s cannonball will make a splash. Amen. It's not right. all about me right? It, this, or, or my own family. This is thinking about God's blessing to our children and our children's children. Amen. And you can, but you can apply this, apply this to business, right? Apply this to business. You're being told, you know, um, frequently, how can you be the most successful business person you can be, right? But that's not, a, I mean, to be the most successful business person you can be is to be thinking generationally. How can Amen. I pile up Amen. blessing for That's the right. next generation so that they have a bigger blessing to give their children after them, the generation after them? Um, how can I support families? Um, how can I um, pay um, living wages to my employees so that their wives can stay home with their kids so Come that, so yes, that you know, they can afford this, um, these, these, living, these costs of living? I mean, there's ways to do the math and think about how can I think generationally? How can I think big in the vocation that God's called me to bless people beyond me because my God is a covenant-keeping God. But, 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 you got to get married first <laughs> if you go to baptize your kids. Now, this, I worked at a Christian, it's interesting for me because I think a lot of Christian ministries make a lot of money off of this particular topic, how to apply the gospel when it comes to um, what, what I'm going to do with my life. We, we came up with a product called Decision Decision. It was one of our biggest selling products yeah. aimed at people trying to figure out what, is, what, what does God want me to do with my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Yeah. And it was, this was radical. Did you teach them how to read the clouds? Well, you know what? It actually, it's really funny because it was a dispensational concept and backdrop. And it was, it was actually very, um, how do you feel? Kind of, you know what yeah, I mean? And like, right. what, what is leading you this way? But what was interesting, I came, as I came to a covenantal understanding, it was like, well, how did God, what did God expect Adam to do? 
He gave him work, yeah. right. gave him a wife, have kids, cultivate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Take some dominion. And the process and get engaging this and getting started is actually just that simple. And I wish that somebody I wish I had your book earlier uh, that I could have engaged just the basic process of this in that order. You know, like God gives you work, boy, find some work, you know, and, and, and this for me. I wish I would have taken education a lot more seriously than I did, you know, and so that way I could actually work harder, that I could be more creative in my work so I could see problems better. So not forsaking education, spending some time really digging in, grabbing a good education to apply that uh, uh, dominion application of working, right? Uh, and so that in working, having a wife, being able to provide for her, right? Being able to have her stay home with the kids. And all those things made easier because of I took education seriously, right? And then in that process, um, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting no, you. No, no, I was I always like breathing. To just, I like to jump in right I when was he goes breathing. like, <gasps> uh, yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. But, so, but those things are so lost in just getting started in the process. You know, and, and so covenant theology, though, starts you back at how has God designed this whole thing to work? You get here because you started here. And so I think sometimes we, we keep on selling this project of, especially evangelicalism, of we can help you find what it is God's called you to do. What is God's will for your life? That's the big key words, right? Well, that's easy. <laughs> Let's go back to Genesis. This is God's will. And this is what I, this is what I was saying. I'm sorry. I just, I just no, totally cool. ran over you again. He's no, talked no, enough in the beginning. Cool. I, I, uh, I got it. This is what I was talking about last night at my talk, actually, which is just that, that God, the pattern all through the Bible is that um, is that God blesses small obedience? Amen. Uh, that was what it, I was going to say it, it, right there. Yeah, <laughs> as as my friend Gabriel likes to say, <laughs> God blesses small obedience. It, it's seed like obedience. We are we are all through the Bible. I bet he's got a song about seed in the Bible. You got it. Absolutely. New see, creation offspring. See, New creation see, seed. Yeah. Because yeah. if you read the Bible covenantally from Genesis to Revelation, the concept of seed is significant. The seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. And so you've got this Abraham's seed and offspring. But it's mm -hmm. not just it doesn't just stop there because because we're also likened to trees. Mm. Blessed will be the man Someone. who he will be like yeah. a tree planted by rivers of water bearing fruit mm. in its season. And, and Jesus is the tree and we are the branches that are grafted into him. And, right. And the kingdom and of God is a mustard is a seed. mustard yeah. seed right. that will grow up and become this right. tree. And the and the birds of the nations will come and find shelter. Amen. Right. And, and, and so, Revelation has got all these trees of life. Nice. You say amen. That's amen. what we do. I, I was, and, and, but all that to say, God blesses faithfulness. Amen. That's what covenant amen. theology amen. reminds and, and, us of. Yeah, before Gabe starts speaking, I'm just going to make sure I interrupt him one more time. <laughs> this was just a trial for yeah. Brother Gabe's patience, and he no, passed cool, the test. Cool. Um, I rarely have much to say. so <laughs> We've noticed. Not a big deal. <laughs> no. And, and, but, but kind of to Toby's point here, and a lot of what covenant does, it takes the pressure off. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, especially for young men, especially when um, growing up, 16, 17, 18, 19, I, was, I wanted to take over the world. I wanted to do all the big things, right? I didn't want to do any of the little things because they seemed so futile. They seemed mm. so insignificant mm. in God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. But when I, I Changing diapers. Changing <laughs> diapers, all stuff. I remember when Taking I moved out the here garbage. In, yep. in 2002, I moved here to Moscow. I was 22 years old. I was on my third college. <laughs> it's wow. funny to me. It doesn't have to be Sounds funny. Sounds like a divorce. Right. 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 Third college. Oh, it's and, funny. and I remember um, uh, reading Luke chapter 16, verse 11, where basically Jesus is exhorting, saying, be faithful in little, be faithful in much. 
Be faithful in what God has put in front of you and be faithful much. And that's, and, and so the, the covenant in some sense takes the pressure off because God is faithful and all you need to do is start where God begins his promises. You don't know where God is going to take you. You don't know where those promises are going to end in your life. But you got to, the covenant teaches you to be faithful and little knowing that God blesses those little seeds into something far bigger than you could ever imagine. Amen. And so individualistically, when we think individually, if we're thinking kind of more evangelical, individualistic, um, then, then we, we tend to think, man, I got to do something big now That's because, right. uh, That's right. you, know, uh, the, you know, the rapture is going to happen and then I'm going to be done. And so I got to be thinking <laughs> big now. That's so real. But, yeah, right. That's real. But in, in, so instead of, of thinking so individualistically, believe in the promises of God before you and what, what it, he's doing right here in your life, right in these good. seats, you know. Abraham, for most of his life, wandered around in a, a, a foreign land and built altars. That was his life. In the desert, mm-hmm. built altars. I mean, what you know? What a life! What, what if God told you to go do that? And that's that was, and He's the Father of the faithful, Amen. right? They're building altars. One of the cool. There's a cool little connection with Joshua when they're taking the land. Um, that battle, um, you know, the, the first time they go to try to take Ai, remember they fail, mm-hmm. and they go mm-hmm. back, and then it, and then the second time they succeed, and 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 the Lord it says set ambushes between these two cities. AI, and I don't remember the other name, and it's one of the places where Abraham built an altar, right? So you might, your job might be to build the altar, and maybe in generations to come, Man, someone else is going to take Boy. the city. Amen. Amen. That, that, that's, Amen. That's really good, Pastor, because I was really just, I, one of the things right now, and I just, it's just like confession time for me, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but one of the things right now is that I'm noticing, so my wife and I, we talked about this, there hasn't been a faithful covenant marriage in our family that we can think of yeah. yeah there hasn't been one all right that we can come together and think of and it's like there, there's there's a couple options that we have we can say well man that that's really horrible or we can actually get busy and do something about it and say you know we're gonna we're gonna build those altars yeah and and, and so sometimes there's um when you're I, i'll just ask you the question when you're behind the eight ball sometimes you come to this and you're behind the eight ball and you see so many three here in Moscow, especially three generations of blessedness and families growing. And you're like, Oh, you know, how do I catch up? And, but, but, you know, there's something that I've really learned that sometimes that that's not your story. <laughs> your story is there hasn't been faithfulness time to plant the flag. And so your focus is saying, okay, we are going to be the, we're going to be the, the family where the great, great, great grandkids hang our picture in the living room and say, Mwah! thank you for loving Jesus, grandpa and grandma. Thank you for staying together, grandma and grandpa. You know what I mean? So uh, give us like just covenantally, what are some good ways to start engaging, start um, applying covenantally, like people who are behind the eight ball, how they get in this fight? Yeah, I would say realizing that, Covenant theology has much to say uh, about race issues, race and culture issues, um, if, if it's okay to, to, to turn it to that. I didn't know you were going that way, but yeah, I, I guess, yeah. yeah go ahead. Um, I know that's one of the things. Do it. Because what it does, what, when you understand God's unfolding covenant story in Christ to the Gentiles, it helps you to realize the kingdom is so much bigger than me. And I think in America and in the American church, we assume the kingdom of God is limited to the American church only, or even to uh, the white church, 
uh, only. When what we see is a much bigger, greater, more glorious plan than that, uh, where God. God, thank God, <laughs> where the, the, the nations who attempted to build Babel for their own glory were scattered, but then are regathered, starting at Pentecost with the Spirit poured out, and God's promise to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through his offspring, Christ, has already begun being fulfilled. And therefore, when it comes to how I think about race and culture uh, in, 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 in missions, I'm a part of an, a huge movement that the Lord has been up to for thousands of years. My primary identity is not as a white American my wife's primary identity is not as a black Angolan immigrant. It's those who are in Christ, in union with Christ. And now we are uh, able to proclaim the gospel that actually reconciles and unites all people groups, which won't be easy, but as we worship together, the gospel will enable us uh, to do that. I want to piggyback on your question yeah, because yeah, yeah. here's one answer um, is – I mean, you're absolutely right. There's a place for, and you should say, you, if you look around you and your family's broken and you say, we haven't done it right. And I want to be, I want to be that picture on the wall for my great grandchildren. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. amen. Praise God for yeah. that. But you, you also need to say that in the context of recognizing you do have generations of faithfulness now was, in, in Christ. Because right? of that amen. covenant. Be, yeah. and, and, and this, yeah. and this That's my exactly. new identity. That's my new family. It's your new family. That's my exactly. new family tree. <laughs> my family tree. <laughs> Is this, this, it's from Jesus. Abraham. Exactly. This is, this is exactly That's right. right. We, are, we are family in Christ. That's something that doesn't get uh, the, said. The water right. of baptism is thicker than blood. Amen. Right? We, this, we this are, includes Baptist and Presbyterian and Methodist. Yeah. Amen. But, but that, that, that's, so that's, that's the glory, though, of thinking covenantally. You started this off this way, Tim, is, is thinking about um, the, the story of Abraham is my story. Amen. Right? The Amen. story of David is my story. I'm Amen. part of his family because I'm united to them in Jesus Christ, which yeah. means that all who profess faith in Jesus are my family, which means that you have in Christ generations of faithfulness, and that's where you begin. Well, you're trying and, to get my offering, ain't you? Look at you. <laughs> you take Visa, right? <laughs> offering time. But that's, you know, that's something that actually has been very encouraging for us is to look and see that it had to start somewhere too, but it starts because God is a good father. Jesus is a, a, a great Amen. friend and a good yeah, brother, yeah. and God's a good father. He's given us a model for those who haven't had fathers. Yeah. He, we have a model father, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. in, in Christ. And so and I, I, that's been so encouraging, and actually he's given us the ability to start, right? And so covenantally, when you have that covenant structure, you don't have to necessarily look in the line necessarily that you have directly in front of biologically. you biologically you have a water line not a blood line you have a water line through yeah. christ that Amen. you can chase back there and see i see you abraham yeah <laughs> right. right and we've seen god is faithful to his people amen he, he has been faithful to abraham and sarah he's been faithful to isaac and rebecca he's been faithful to joseph he's amen. been faithful to david despite all their messes despite all their sins because of jesus and so we can trust him that he will be faithful to us right. Right? Amen. We, can, we can rest in him and i think part of this some of you guys i don't know where you guys are at but some of you guys are probably thinking okay i've been not living for the lord for 18 20 years of my life and then what do i do now Right. Well, that's why I like how we view um, our worship service. Our worship service is a covenantal renewal worship service. Every Sunday, we go and renew covenant with God. And you see this throughout Scripture, that God the Father is constantly renewing covenant with us. Every covenant that he made with, um, from you know, Adam to Abraham to David was all a renewal of that covenant. 
And when we, and then the way we view worship on Sunday is it is very much that same concept where God is renewing covenant with us. Mm. So you, you think, well, where do I start? We'll start start tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Amen. Start Come renewing on, worship with God. Reach, reach Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. Start tomorrow. Much. Start start renewing covenant with God tomorrow. Amen. Yeah, I like how Pastor Doug always says that he, he says, you know, that God God doesn't meet us where we should have been. He meets us where we are. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Amen. That's his grace. He always meets us right where we are. He doesn't leave us there. He's determined to take us. Amen. He's taking us to glory. Yeah. Um, but he always meets us where we actually are, not where we should have been. That's Amen. his grace. Okay, so this is a time where you guys get to ask the questions. Anything that we didn't cover, anything you – oh, look at that. They oh, got, got the mic. mic. They're professional yeah. around here. Is, is Luke going to drop some beats for us while we're waiting for some questions? <laughs> Uh, you didn't know. I, I got you. I should have covered you on the last one. I saw you almost go for the mic. I like, let me stop because that's all I got. So if you guys want to ask any questions to Timothy. Stand up and we can. Here's a question. The brave soul. Okay. Hello. I was just wondering if you could maybe offer some advice on how to use the uh, Luke 24 hermeneutic responsibly. Because I feel like there's a, um, a ditch on both sides of the road. Let me explain what I mean. So on one side, you have dispensationalism will say, oh, if you want to understand what Revelation means, you have to read Daniel 9. And then on the other side, you have, like, I never have a problem when James quotes Amos in Acts 15 and says, this is reapplied to the gospel. Or when Matthew says things like, out of Egypt I called my son, and reapplies that to Jesus. But I do have a problem when we have the Roman Catholic Magisterium saying that the Ark of the Covenant is Mary. So where do we find, how do we find that balance? Great question. I would say that uh, we must come to the Scriptures and hear the Scriptures to hear the way that the living God in His Word uh, is clearly saying that His Word is true, He cannot lie, and allow Scripture to interpret itself as much as possible. Now, granted, we're, we're flawed interpreters. We're sinful. And obviously the issue is how uh, is this person interpreting the way that God's interpreting himself? How's this person interpreting the way that God's interpreting himself? At the end of the day, it's taking every thought captive, submitting to the Lord in the word. And when the Lord uh, in the New Testament is speaking through the apostolic writers, taking Amos 9, and applying it through James to the New Testament church, taking Hosea 11 out of Egypt, I called my son, and applying it to Christ coming up out of Egypt. I think the point that Jesus makes in John 5 is that when he says, Moses uh, uh, wrote of me, and Abraham uh, rejoiced to see my day, he saw and was glad. We shouldn't think that the New Testament writers were reading Christ back into the text but rather it was already about him all along. And this is because Jesus is not only the subject of the Old Testament, he's the author. And we see this in 1 Peter 10, uh, 1, 10 and 11, where it says the spirit of Christ, he was the one in the prophets predicting beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It's the spirit of Christ who was speaking through the prophets. So, the second and third person of the Trinity are just as active in authoring the Old Testament as they are in the New Testament. And the way that we see God in his word, and, and, and you know, we're talking about the book of Luke, the way that Jesus 
opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, that's true because Isaiah 61 was about him when it was written. And it was actually Christ inspiring Isaiah. So it's always helpful to go to the author of a written work and ask him, hey, what did you mean by that when you said that? Well, Christ is actually the author of the scriptures. And even before that, before uh, God takes on flesh, we have in Luke 1 and Luke 2 the way that Zechariah and Mary are praising the Lord for uh, bringing John the Baptist and, and the Lord Jesus Christ being born. And what are they saying? God, you have kept the promises that you promised Abraham and David. David, you have been faithful. And when we go to the Old Testament, what are the Psalms doing? They're looking back at God's covenant faithfulness to his people through Abraham and through the Exodus, and they're expecting God to continue to be faithful. The Old Testament is looking forward. And so I think we would, the most responsible way to have a Luke 24 hermeneutic is to realize that it's the Bible's hermeneutic. It's the Son of God's hermeneutic. It's the author of Scripture's hermeneutic. Uh, now, it is possible to read Christ into the text in the Old Testament in an irresponsible, unhelpful way, uh, and that can be a danger for us. Yet, the better we know Christ's Word, the more we put ourselves into God's living Word, the more we'll see how various themes connect in Him, the way that the New Testament uses the Old, and we can trust Christ as we pray that the Spirit would illuminate the Son of God in the Old Testament to us, that He'll be faithful to do that. So I, d I don't think we need to be super cautious when having a Luke 24 hermeneutic because it's really just Jesus' hermeneutic who's the author of the Bible. I would just... Just throw it out Please. there. I think you know, ninety percent. I don't mean maybe putting a percentage on it is a little bit silly, but I would just say there is so much in the New Testament that explicitly connects to the Old Testament. I would say we we could spend the rest of our lives just um, trying to understand how the apostles see Christ in the Old Testament, and I don't think we would get tired. So so I would say like let's at least do that. Like, let's at the very least agree that, okay, even if, you know, we say, well, okay, when the woman drops the stone, off, the millstone off the tower and it hits the guy in the head, is that a head-crushing story? And the reason I would say it is, here, and here, here, there's a grammatical aspect. So knowing the biblical languages is super useful. Not all of us are able to learn biblical languages. It's very helpful when pastors and teachers are. The reason I would say it is is because when uh, in the book of Judges, uh, this unnamed, this certain unnamed woman drops woman. an upper it's millstone, true, uh, on the head of Abimelech, uh, a, a, a wicked apostate ruler, it crushes his, you know what the Hebrew word is? His Golgotha. <laughs> yeah, that should make it crushes his Golgotha. <laughs> in, in, it crushes his skull. That and, was an accident, though. Ah, oh, there's just an accident. It's just <laughs> random. Right, right. It just happened and what's very interesting is earlier in the book of Judges, you have another woman driving through the skull of an enemy leader, Jael, doing a, a, a head crushing. And so these women head crushings are pointing toward right. not only Mary giving birth to Christ, but the way that the church... The church, the bride Back of the Lord. Romans 16 again. There you go. The, the God of peace will soon crush Satan yeah. under y'all's feet. You is in the plural there, yeah. under y'all's feet. So y'all yeah. as in so, Texas y'all. So I was trying True. to come up with a with a challenging one. That was obviously not challenging enough. Um, but but my point being, 
if we go through the New Testament and we just did all of the apostolic ex, um, explicit mentions of where Christ is in the, the Old Testament, we got plenty to work with for the rest of our lives. And if we start actually digging in, I think we're going to find more things like that where it's clearly an illusion. There's l- linguistic connections. And, um, and at the same time, you're right, though. I think, um, I think people can turn this into something like, I sometimes call it like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons typology. It's like it's just kind of getting weird and bizarre. Or where's Waldo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. And, and I and I like so like that does exist. And I and I so I would I would want to recognize. Yes, let's not go there. Uh, and at the same time, I think on the whole, there is so many riches and treasures for us to find um, looking for Christ in the Old Testament. Amen. Great question, brother. Yeah, question. Oh, yeah, two. I like this. Y'all alive? Let's do it. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, in a couple online groups, and uh, calling often comes up, especially among young single Christians. Uh, you guys talked about it a little bit. Um, I was always raised that basically go out there and be faithful. So there's this idea out there that you need to discern your calling. You need to wait for God to show you exactly what do I need to do with my life. And contrasting to that, when we stayed Acts 1 in men's book. Excuse me, men's Bible study recently. The disciples are saying to Jesus, Is now the kingdom? Is now the kingdom? Like, is it is it here? And he says, You don't get to know, go out there. So should we be concerned with trying to figure out exactly what to do, or should we say there's the create dominion mandate, there's the Great Commission, go be a prophet, priest, and king? Yes. Um, I think that's a great point. One of the there's a there's a chapter and song on the unfolding called Priest Judge, and what it seeks to show is that Adam in the garden, he was a priest and he was a judge. He's put Genesis two fifteen. God put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Many of our English Bibles say that's good. Literally uh, to to serve in it and to guard it. And so those verbs avad and shamar are used over and over again for the priests. And in Numbers 3, the priests are to guard the temple and to serve in the temple, the tabernacle at that point in the temple and to execute judgment on anything unclean that, that comes in. So that sheds light on how, wow, Adam should have guarded the temple of Eden, the sanctuary of Eden, from the serpent. He should have executed judgment on the serpent. That was part of, part of being a priest uh, is at, as a worshiper, as one who avods, who serves God, also guards the holy presence of God. Adam should have executed judgment on the serpent. He fails. But then we see these verbs pop up again for the Levites, for the priests. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he do? He comes into the temple. He does what Adam should have done. He serves and worships the Lord, but he, he drives out the unclean. And ultimately, he does that in the heavenly sanctuary with his casting out of the serpent. Really interesting, though, Paul applies those priestly passages to the elders. Uh, uh, when it comes to uh, church discipline, he talks about how church elders are called to purge the evil from among you. And he's quoting the priestly passages. So elders are priest judges in that sense. But then when Paul uses the language, put your sin to death kill your sin. He definitely has in mind the Old Testament Canaanite conquest where God's people were called to go into the land and wreck shop and slaughter 
the serpents, the offspring of the serpents, the Canaanites, who had intruded into God's holy temple presence land, his new Eden land, uh, they were to put them to death, which when the new... When Jesus comes on the scene, he's not saying put other people to death, but put sin to death. Uh, don't put your brother to death. Put the thought of putting your brother to death to death. <laughs> and so on one level, until the Lord clarifies a more specific calling, the general calling of being a priest judge to put sin to death and help your brothers put sin to death. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, it's the same verb there, shamar. Am I my brother's guardian? Yes, Cain. <laughs> you are your brother's guardian as well. Help your brother put sin to death. Uh, as a royal priest, as, as, as a priestly ruler who spreads God's kingdom. So as the Lord, uh, over time, clarifies for you your specific individual gifts and calling, know that that general calling is crucial, and that's what Gabe was talking about. Being faithful in little, the Lord will allow you in time to be fa- faithful in much. I'll just add to that a little bit. The, Please. Um, when, when I talk with folks about um, discerning God's will, discerning God's call, I would, I would say, first of all, you need to have your house in order that way. So first of all, begin there. Fight sin, confess sin, have a clean heart before God, be right with um, the people around you. Be a faithful Christian first. Because if you're not doing that, then you're not really ready for him to give you anything. But if you, if you say, I've confessed all my sins, there's no bitterness in my heart, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fighting sin, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the shamaring uh, faithfully, um, I'm, I'm, I'm being a priest in my family, in my home, in, you know, wherever I am right now. The next thing I would add is, so the, the three kind of I triangulate with people sometimes I would say is um, interest, gifts, and opportunity. Interest, gift, and yeah. opportunity. So those are thus I think those are the kind of the three basic things that God uses us. So like I may have like an interest in you know being a battle rapper one day, and I don't have any of the gifts. Nope. And also, nobody's asking me to, so I don't have any opportunities either. No, they haven't no. asked. No. no, but but no. you but no. you but I'll be waiting for your call. He's <laughs> <laughs> gonna drop a verse yeah. in the next album. So, but you know, interest, gift, opportunity. So you may have interest and gifts, but nobody's asking you. You don't have the opportunity yet. So maybe you're praying for the opportunity. Maybe God will give you the opportunity, but maybe God's also saying He's not calling you to that. Um, maybe sometimes you have gifting and you're not really sure you really enjoy it, but you have people asking you to do it. Well, maybe maybe you try it out for a bit. Uh, maybe that maybe and maybe the interest comes. Uh, maybe it never comes though, and so maybe that's a place where God is um, encouraging you to branch out, try something different. Uh, maybe you have an interest and opportunity, and you got to go to school to find get the gifting, mm-hmm. right? And so I think I think somewhere in those three areas, and, and you know, it's that's helpful. That's that's where I think God super helpful works brother. with us because I, don't, I think sometimes we're looking for like the supernatural, like you know, yes. so, sign in the clouds, or you know, like speak to me, you Jesus. know, like you know, whatever, <laughs> rolling the dice, or you know, if you know, if that uh, person offers me this, then I'll think that God's telling me. Th- I mean, it's like uh, you know, yeah. eh, I don't know, fleecing uh, God, <laughs> but yeah, but I think, um, but I think God ordinarily works through ordinary things. Yeah, can God do something crazy and supernatural? Sure, he's God. He can do that. But I think ordinarily God works through ordinary things, which I think are things like, so what do you want to do? What are you good at? 
And does anybody else think that? I mean, does anybody else want you to do that? Is mm. anyone else giving you the opportunity to do that? I mean, that's, I mean, I, 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 I sometimes tell the story of becoming a pastor. I mean, I, my dad is a pastor. I love, I have a great respect for the pastoral ministry, but I didn't, I, you know, some, some preachers, you know, they like, you know, had a vision when they were 16 and they're like, I've got to preach the gospel or I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that experience at all. Um, he was it, smoking weed and had uh, dreads <laughs> in his hair. And it uh, was. And then I saw a vision. And, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, but it was, but, but more, it was, it was, it was a very gradual um, work of God in my heart where I, was, I, I had a, a realizing like, oh, I guess I, I like teaching the Bible. I love Hebrew and Greek and I like explaining it to people. I love when people are appreciating that, I like applying to their lives. And, and then I, I slowly realized that I, I, I liked that. I enjoyed that. And then there were more and more opportunities where people were saying, would you please, will you come back? Would you do that again? And I'm thinking, you really want me to do that again? You know? <laughs> you know? and, and, um, and I think that was slowly how I... I came to the conviction that this is my calling mm-hmm. is to be a, a preacher of the gospel. Yeah, there's no magic cloud that's going to open up and happen yeah. like that. Yeah. I saw another question over there's here. There's another question. Thanks, so brother Toby. Yeah. I'll just say why he's running over there real quick. Um, one of the proof texts I like to start with. It's okay. It's okay. Just, just <laughs> relax. It's all right. Um, is First uh, uh, Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So oftentimes we ask, well, what's the will of God in my life? Well, it, you know, it's, it's rejoice always pray without ceasing. Right. And everything give thanks. And, and that's where you start. And the Lord, the Lord, you know, it's back to be faithful in little. If you're faithful there. Much. Yeah. Right. Does hip hop belong on Sunday morning worship? <laughs> oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> You know, I would say it, it, it only belongs if it brings edification to God's people. Um, I think hip-hop doesn't belong in corporate worship if it isn't bringing, if it doesn't give an opportunity for God's people to participate. Uh, since what we find in Scripture is that worship should be participatory. Uh, the, the covenant community should be participating in the worship. So I don't, th- there, there are some churches, yeah. you know, there's some hip hop churches actually, yeah. but there are some churches that only or mostly use uh, hip hop songs, um, perform maybe on the spot or listen to uh, in, in replacing worship. And I don't think that's best actually. Um, however, when you read the Psalms, you find in some of the Psalms, they're, they're called a masculine, uh, a wisdom psalm, and it's meant to impart the wisdom of life in a, uh, in a way, in a proverbial way, uh, and sometimes it's meditating on redemptive history or showing how it's to, it's to be lived. And it's pretty clear when you look at, at, at the Psalms and the scriptures, there was a, uh, oftentimes, uh, a lyricist, one who would stand in front of, of the people of God and proclaim these lyrics right. in almost a, in a, in a proclamation way. Right. And so putting the preach word to rhythm uh, with alliteration and rhyme and rhyme scheme and meter, which you find in the Psalms and the Hebrew, that's another reason I was going to give why hip-hop is a useful means because it's in the, in the end of the day, the psalmists were, were lyrical theologians. Right. Um, and, and yet, so... 
if hip hop is going to be used on, on Sunday mornings, it should never replace participatory worship, but maybe it could be used, um, in between some of the worship songs. Um, I have several times pastor Lance Lewis, PCA pastor who I worshiped at his church from 2002 to 2012. He would have me come up maybe after the sermon or before the sermon after uh, in between the worship songs, never taking the place of corporate worship, to do a song that really brought out the theme of the sermon. Um, and, and that was edifying for God's people, and it was useful. That in no way means that every church has to do it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it is appropriate. Um, but it can be useful. I would say beyond that, though, you know, one of the things Shylin has done um, – uh, uh, fellow artist on Lamp Mode Recordings. He has an album called Lyrical Theology Part 2 Doxology. Most of the album is uh, worship songs that are meant to be sung in a corporate way. Yeah. And it has, limited, it has limited rapping. There's some rapping, maybe in between the singing. Um, but it's, it's meant to maybe use more hip-hop genre uh, uh, beats and rhythms with various melodies although my brother's right dave made the good point chalk knox made the good point hip-hop at the end of the day is a conglomeration of other music genres so besides the beats and the rhythms there's uh orchestra and symphonic or jazz and soul and rock that you'll find on unfolding um, but what shylin was attempting to do was bring uh to the church an opportunity to worship the lord uh through uh uh, biblically based lyrics uh, that had more of, a, of, of an urban or, or hip hop flavor to it that would be a blessing to the church. And I, I really recommend that project. All of his uh, projects are great. Yeah. yeah one, of the, one of the things to remember, I mean, when we think about the earth as the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that means that there are lots of things um, that we can offer back to the Lord with thanksgiving and worship and praise that don't necessarily show up in an in explicit way in corporate worship. And, and that doesn't mean then that it can't be edifying, that it isn't pleasing to God, or that it doesn't fall under sort of um, small W worship, you know, sort of all of life worship. And I, so I think there's a, the, the Bible itself, if, we, if we're reading it covenantally all through, you, you recognize that there's special worship in the temple and in the tabernacle, Absolutely. but that doesn't mean that you don't worship on, on Monday or Wednesday or Friday. Uh, we're, we're, to, we're to worship God all the time. Amen. Um, and, and, and so I think... Um, even if, um, I mean, I, I think, and I, I think we're, we're post-millennial, right, Tim? <laughs> I'm sympathetic we're, with many aspects of, I'm an, <laughs> I'm an optimistic, so, uh, already not yet new creation amillennialist. He's, <laughs> he, he's almost there. He's almost there. <laughs> but, and, 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 but what we mean, what, I, what I'm saying, though, is that that means that um, right now, like, this is not all the glory that God has for God's people now and worship too. And I, and I think we can, as we are faithful to God, as, we, as artists are faithful to God, as musicians are faithful to God, I think God will show us down the road. I think, I think there's more glory to be had in worship than we already have. Yeah. And so on the one hand, you might say, well, maybe we're in the not yet um, in, in some ways, but maybe there are some aspects of other genres that we have not yet seen um, how they can be offered in dignified ways um, in, in formal worship. Can I, let me just jump. I want to jump in real quick. We can't even sing the psalms yet. Yeah. Much less rap them. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would prefer having a church that at least is trying to rap the psalms versus some of the other stuff they're trying to sing. 
So, you know what I mean? A, a, a psalm rapping at a church is far closer to where we need to be going versus some of the other praise and worship songs. You know, uh, his heart is on fire for you, and he's just having a ball thinking about you. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> repeat. Yeah, repeat, repeat, repeat. You know? um, that's far closer to where we need to be going than I think where we're at. Until we can learn to sing the psalms. You know, this question for me is almost like, well, let's sing the Psalms first. Yeah. Let's take a step back. Sure. Let's say, let's sing the Psalm first. Now, I will say this. I have seen, and I do believe that there is a way, I, I think hip-hop has, a f is far deeper than what people think it is. It's far, and it's far more musical than what people think it is. We just have poor versions that we publicly see of it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the culture and what's behind inside of hip-hop um, it is very didactic. It's, and I know a lot of people will say, well, it can't be communal in the way that we do it. That's a lie. I mean, if you go to, you go to concerts, people have learned the most complicated twister raps, and you got 30,000 people rapping a twisted song together. And I'm saying, they are working way hard on their worship to their God. Yeah. Then I'm working on my worship to the true God. Yeah. So I, I just... I, Again, but I think it starts first with us singing the psalms. And Amen. as we sing the psalms Amen. and our, cult, our church becomes far more diverse, the way that we get to how we are doing. We're going to grow up. We're going to grow up. We're going to grow my up. My kids, some of my daughter, she's one. She can't eat steak yet. It's good. It tastes great. She likes the taste of it, but she spits it out, yeah. you know, because she can only get so much of it. So to get there, if that is where we're going, that's where God gives us. We need to grow up first by singing the Psalms. Amen. That's a good place to end. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> hey, yeah. 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 Uh, one more question. Uh, like one, one more question. Yeah. Do we have one more? Yeah, actually, this is more of a testimony. Um, a thank you to Timothy. Um, I came across your Killing Sin album a long, oh, long time ago. Man, we heard from Killing Sin, huh? Um, I think I must have been a senior in high school. When did the, when did that album come out? Two thousand five. Okay, mm -hmm. so it was like two thousand five, two thousand six when I came across it, and. Um, I listened to that song from that point through 2010, and I probably listened to it hundreds of times. Um, I listened to it more than any other Christian music at all. Um, and it just really built up my spirit more than any other Christian music I listened to. I didn't tell a lot of people that because I knew a lot of my friends wouldn't understand that I <laughs> was enjoying this hip-hop so much um but i, I want to say this now because <laughs> yeah i was like i was a closet hip-hopper um but it yeah it, it helped me take my own sin seriously and it encouraged me i would listen to it while i was you know wiring stuff at work and i would listen to that same album you know two times through in one day um, so I just wanted to say thank you. And Praise God, brother. Say to everybody That's who's so wondering, can this actually encourage people? Can this make a difference in your life? Yes, it can. It, um, I would say it's probably one of the things that led me to go study in seminary at one point. And um, so thank That's you. so encouraging. <laughs> thank you for sharing that, brother. It's powerful. Praise God. That's Hallelujah. Great. Well, Thank you guys for coming out. Really appreciate it. It's great to be here with you guys. Lord bless your Saturday evening and worship tomorrow. And, and Timothy's books are up here. We'll be up here for...
uh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. So. I said earlier, just to give a shout out to this book, this is an amazing book. It's very well done. It connects so many dots. I said, I wish I would have gotten this in my hands first instead of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And so it's that kind of book. It's a great book. So. Take us out, Chuck. Yeah. You can tell them what you got to tell them. Yeah. Oh. Love God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Thank you, guys. Thank Praise you. the Lord. Thank you. Thank you.